We're on this journey discovering Jesus in each of the 66 books of the Bible. We started in Genesis, and we are now all the way to 2 Thessalonians. Next week, we're going to be talking where Jesus is revealed in 1 Timothy. Last week, I pointed out um, that 1 Thessalonians spoke of the second coming of Christ. 2 Thessalonians does as well. And um, so this week, I just spent a lot of time gathering and cultivating information that over many years of study, research, um, I, you know, I, I want to give credit. I actually think that we all need to find mentors in our lives that are mentors for seasons as well as mentors for life, and you kind of have to figure out what that is. Uh, Tracy and I always had a great admiration for a man by the name of Nick Harris, who uh, was the pastor downtown at First Church, and he had an incredible ministry to business leaders, and that's what kind of caught our attention at first. And then I began listening to him, and there was a season of my life where I just devoted myself to listen and be mentored by him, particularly in the realm of eschatology. The guy's a brilliant theologian and orator. I believe in ministry now, Norman. Uh, so I want to give credit to, to him for his assistance in that. He doesn't even know that he mentored me uh, so much in that regard, but has helped me tremendously to understand some of the concepts I'm going to share. Of course, a lot of different sources and, and books. But here's the bottom line. I don't have time to go into all this discussion today. So what I have done and what we're trying to do through this progression of Jesus in every book of the Bible, rather than to inspire you and dazzle you with insights, what we're trying to do is empower you to study and you grow deeper as a Christian. Our goal here is not to gather crowds of people to come together to you know, be institutional church. Our goal here is to empower individual disciples to know their God, to be strong, and to do great exploits. And when you get in the Word... Let's thank the Lord for that. Come on, we just call that in over this house in Jesus' name. When you get in the Word and you get in a place of prayer and you devote yourself to the gathering of the church like the Bible tells us to do, then you begin to be strong. And so we want to empower you in that. I literally have written 27 pages of information on the blog. Uh, so you can find that at our website. You can find it at pastordude.com. We'll be up this week as well with that but 27 pages where I lay out for you the 490-year prophecy that paused when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey at 483 years. Folks, there's seven years still to go. Very clearly, that prophetic time clock will start when Israel and Palestine sign a peace treaty agreement, a seven-year peace treaty agreement. That has yet to happen. It will come to pass. Uh, there is going to be a violation of that agreement three and a half years into this, and that's called the abomination of desolation. And we see all this, and we read all about this in Scripture. If you want to know who the end-time players are and the nations that are going to rally against Israel, then you can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 38. It's going to be spearheaded and, rud, uh, spearheaded and led by a... Uh, um, an adversary from the north of Israel, and if you look due north, you'll see Moscow and Russia is named in this as marching against Israel. They'll be, uh, they'll have a kind of a united uh, group of nations, if you will, that are not going to be favorable to Israel. And those, many of those nations are mentioned in Scripture, some of them by their ancient names. And I've shown in there uh, what those ancient names are now translated that we might understand. Folks, Iran is a part of that. Turkey is a part of that. As you start to look through and you see uh, Libya, Poland, various players that are a key component of this prophecy yet to come to pass, you understand, you see Egypt will not be spared. They will be destroyed. 
destroyed and devastated by the adversary marching to the south. And if you notice, even in the day in which you and I live in modern times, Egypt aligns itself with the U.S. and with Israel. So it makes sense that that would happen. What we're seeing is modern alignments of various perspectives that are really setting up for what we're talking about to take place in Scripture. I probably really have your attention now. Because when we start talking about these kinds of issues, all kinds of bells and alarms start going off. And I want to address that today, but I, I want you to, um, you know, maybe you're here and you believe in the rapture of the church before all the tribulation. That's pre-tribulation. Maybe you believe in the rapture of the church in the middle where the, the three and a half year uh, mark where the covenant is violated, and that's mid-tribulation. Maybe you believe we're going to go through it all as Christians, and that's post-tribulation. Maybe you don't have a clue what I'm talking about when I'm even using this terminology, but I explain those three positions, and I give biblical arguments for each. I tried not to just give you my beliefs, but to empower you once again to study the Scripture for yourself. How many know we need to grow? in our relationship with God and with His Word. And so I've laid that out for you on, on the blog to be able to look. As much as you want to dive into this, uh, you've got 27 pages of research. I start with a brief summary of where I'm going today, a more elaborate depiction, and then a very elaborate uh, breakdown of, of, of even how to read some of these books, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, First and Second Thessalonians, and some, if you will, code, uh, you know, numerical values and their assessment to eschatological conclusions and terminology that, that really matters. And so this type of stuff, guys, is way over my head. How many of you know it's way over all of our heads? It's like not over Jesus' head, but it's over the rest of ours. And we're looking at all this stuff, and many times what happens is we begin to develop more questions than we do come to conclusions or answers. And let me just caution you, only arrogance takes a position and claims everybody else is ignorant if they don't believe what that individual believes. Stop it. That's not what God's called us to do. That's arrogant. That's prideful. Here's the bottom line. There are a lot of dispositions and perspectives that we can take in these things. We can value and appreciate when people have differing conclusions theologically. But what we have to do is understand God has called us to a unity, to a love. People aren't always going to agree with you about decisions that you make in your life. People aren't always going to agree with you about decisions and conclusions you have about Scripture, but that does not mean that we stop loving each other. We can have distinction without having division. So there's some pre-mid, pre-trib people in here, and post-trib, and we don't have to get you set up in sections so that you rally together. I mean, you know, we're Jesus people in here. Come on. We are Jesus people in this house, and that's what God's called us to be. So I want to walk you through some things today, and if you want to you know, study further, feel free. Hit the blog and, and study your heart out. Spend hours and hours and hours researching this. Just don't come to conclusions that lessen your love. It's vitally important. The church is not good at what I'm talking about. But God is maturing us to move us into an understanding. Guys, it's not God's will that we uh, change people. It's God's will that we love people. And love has the transforming power. So we want to press into that today. Jesus is revealed in 2 Thessalonians. He's uniquely revealed in every book, but he's uniquely revealed in 2 Thessalonians as our strength for today and our hope for tomorrow. So last week we talked out of 1 Thessalonians. This is your first blank on your card. Jesus is coming back. So encourage each other with these words. 
Encur- very important word, encourage each other with these words. When I hear people starting to talk about this stuff, and you, you, you perhaps felt a little bit of tension come into the room. When I start naming nations that are going to march against Israel, and I mean, there, there's all of a sudden we kind of start going, what, really? I mean, is this, like, this is not fairy tale stuff. The things we're going to talk about today, some of it sounds almost outlandish and outrageous, but you need to understand it's not fairy tale stuff. These are prophecies. And the, the 483 years that came to pass, came to pass when the command was given to rebuild the temple just as the Bible prophesied it would, and then exactly 483 years later, the, the Messiah was revealed when Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding a donkey. Specific dates can be looked at just as that came to pass, and it got started all the way through the conclusion of 483. Then the pause happened in the prophetic alarm clock, and the age of the church is here. The age of the church is not in these eschatological uh, studies that you'll look at. You won't find them there. You'll get confused if you start trying to apply that equation. We're in a pause of that 490-year conclusion, and the seven years will start again. The seven years will start again. That's why we're to pray for the peace of Israel. You start to look at what this all says in Scripture, and we better make sure we're aligning ourselves according to Scripture. And I'm not saying that all this is easy and simple. I'm just saying we've got to look to Scripture to come to our conclusion of how we're going to frame our perspective. So when we see this key word in 1 Thessalonians, it says, encourage each other with these words. Encourage. That means, and I'm just going to apologize to you right now, uh, there have been times that people have come and they're so battered and beaten and bruised by church. You, you know what it is. And there have been times that I've gone and just embraced people and said, on behalf of the pastoral assignment in our world, I am sorry and I ask you to forgive me and pastors who have not done you the way you should be done. But I usually will follow that up by saying, I'm going to fail you as well. See, here's the problem. We get our focus and attention on individuals rather than on the office that they keep and the Jesus that they represent. And our minds go in the wrong direction when we allow ourselves to do that. And just because somebody failed you, put you down, let you down, frustrated you, disappointed you, that doesn't mean Jesus is any less awesome. He's awesome. And we want to know him, and we want him to be known as a result of our surrendered available lives. So we want to bring encouragement to the fact that uh, Jesus is coming back, that message. Not freak everybody out and manipulate everybody. You know, Jesus is coming back and, and you better get back to church next week. Jesus is coming back and you better give. Those giving stations are waiting right now. And if you don't put a dollar in there, people are going to burn in hell. And, and you better invite people to church next week because Jesus is coming back. You don't want Putin calling you. He's coming. He's going to go south. You know, I mean, this is all the type of rhetoric that we start seeing, like books written and alarming perspectives perspectives and and we're manipulating people into massive motion and movement and I'm sorry that you've endured that that should never be the case God did not give us a spirit of fear but love power and a sound mind be at peace be at rest God is in control 
We want you to be mature believers. Let me just say to you, we do want you to come to church next week. We do want you to give. We do want you to love and serve. We do want you to evangelize and invite people. We do want you to do that. But as the lead pastor of this staff and the lead elder of this church family, let me say to you, we will never manipulate you into that. We will call you to greater places of maturity so God's kingdom can advance and God's work can expand. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not bagging on pastors today because I, I don't think that's appropriate either. I'm just saying we're all fallen humanity. God takes just a man, makes him a just man, but don't you ever forget he's just a man. God takes just a woman, makes her a just woman, but don't you ever forget she's just a woman. And this is all about Jesus. So 2 Thessalonians reveals this. Uh, strength for the day, hope for tomorrow, not freak everybody out. And in, in fact, we saw in 1 Thessalonians, Paul said, encourage with these words, not freak everybody out to get them to do what you want to do. Then we see a reiteration in 2 Thessalonians. That's why I want to bring such focus to it today. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 3, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. Do you hear that? Do not listen to stuff, don't read things, and start freaking out, and everybody's got to hear this, everybody's got to know this, oh my God, what are we going to do? That is not a biblical response. That is a fleshly reaction, and you and I are men and women of the Spirit. We need to get this right today. 1 Peter 5 actually says, be self-controlled and alert. It doesn't say be freaked out and alarmed. It says be self-controlled and alert. We need to be alert to these things. That's why I want to talk about it. That's why I want to post something for you to read and study and look at and to realize, guys, we're not here just to try and make a bunch of people religious. That is not our objective at all. We're trying to get people awakened to the purposes of God. And let me tell you, we have a major assignment that is before us, and we need to be constantly on point with what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. The Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear every day that you live, and you need to be awakened more readily to the conversation of God so that we might be the force in the earth pushing back the gates of hell and declaring Jesus is alive and God's work is here, and He is coming back. And we're going to take as many people with us on that journey as we possibly can. So I'm going to tell you a really radical statement. Really radical statement. And then I'm going to have to walk you through and help you understand it. But our presence, how many of you here know Jesus? Can I just see you're awakened to the purposes of God? Our presence as Christians in the earth brings protection to humanity. Our presence brings protection to humanity as we work to expand God's kingdom. This is probably why we align ourselves so readily with these individuals wearing spandex and capes and they're superheroes in the world and we go pay all this money to watch the movies, right? Like we, we, we're drawn to that. Why? Because like we're supernatural and supernatural people align themselves and kind of connect with the idea of being superheroes. This is actually God's plan. I know it sounds radical, but I want to ask all of you to wear spandex and capes to church next week so that we can... Don't you do it. <laughs> Our presence in the earth brings protection to humanity. 
Paul talks about this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 7, really interesting, curious verse. As again, this is talking about Jesus coming back. And he says, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken away. So what's going on? The spirit of Antichrist is among us trying to emerge. The Antichrist will emerge. This lawless individual will emerge. This Antichrist will be in the middle of the seven-year peace treaty. This Antichrist will violate the terms of the seven-year peace treaty. Two different books of the Bible say that'll happen at three and a half year mark of the seven years. So this Antichrist is going to emerge. But the Bible says something is holding the Antichrist back. The Antichrist cannot emerge until this something holding the Antichrist back is taken out of the way. What is this thing that's holding the Antichrist back? So that is the church. This is the the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There's going to be a taking away of the church. And when the church is taken away and taken out of the picture, all hell is going to break loose in the earth. And this is what we read about and we see. And I just want to point out this spirit of Antichrist that's at work in the world today. You need to understand this. It's your next blank. The Antichrist is always characterized by two key things, secrecy and lawlessness. Never upfront about an agenda, never transparent about an agenda, and the rules never apply to this individual. This is a spirit of Antichrist. Let me just say to you, if you send me a private message on Facebook, I'm not the only one who's going to read that private message on Facebook. I, my staff members have my Facebook login account and password. You know why? Because I don't need any personal interaction with anybody except my wife. Amen. Come on, secrecy is, oh, this is okay, that's fine. We justify it. We don't want anybody looking over our shoulder. We don't want anyone, anyone looking in on our lives. And I'm going to just tell you right now, adult and children, we all need this type of accountability. You will not see things correctly. You will see them incompletely. Come on, listen. You will see them incompletely, and you will see them incorrectly if you do not have somebody helping you look in on this. I have access to my children's phone, my daughter. Faith's about to turn 17. Lexi's about to turn 16. How did we get here? And so here they are, and and like they're in their latter teens now, and, and I have access to the phone. I have a program on my phone that shows me their text messages. You want to talk to my girls? You're going to talk to their daddy. Call me overprotective if you want to, but as for me and my house, we, uh, we value transparency. We value plurality. We value community. You can call it what you want, but we're going to play by the rules, and when we're struggling, we're going to be honest about it. And my kids and my wife have heard me walk up to them and say, I am struggling in an area of my life. I, just, I don't want anything in my life to be keeping me back from my relationship with God or my relationship with my family. I mean, my kids have heard me talk about temptation in my life. That's healthy. We all need to be confessing our faults one to another, praying for each other so we can be healed. Sounds almost like a Bible verse because it is. So something is holding the Antichrist back, but that something will be taken away. That something is the church. And and here's the bottom line, what you have to understand. You and I, as the church, we carry the presence and authority of God. See, I'm putting my hands back like this now, because I'm ready. 
You know, somebody comes up and threaten me, I, I put my hands back here because I'm ready. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to declare to the devil, take your hands off of every person in this room, every person in this church, every one of our children, every one of our children's children. Take your hand off our finances. Take your hand off our influence. Take your hand off our reputation. Take your hand off our marriages. You and I carry this incredible authority from God. And with that authority, that presence, that authority, you understand the presence of authority changes the atmosphere. I want you to imagine the first time you went out on a date, you took uh, that girl or that guy took you, the first time you went out on a date and you got in a car and you're driving down the road, you remember the thoughts and the, the, the flutters and the excitement. I mean, you think about that moment, and now I want to go back to that moment with you, and her dad is sitting in the back seat, okay? We've added him to the equation. Now dad is sitting in the back seat. What kind of thoughts are you having now? Hmm. I mean, it's very different when the presence of dad is in the room. Like in, in, our, in, in the car, the presence of authority will change the atmosphere. When you're driving down the road and you see the policeman on the side of the road, what do you do? You slow down. Everybody in the car leans forward because you're speeding or not. You saw the cop and the presence of authority changes the atmosphere of the situation. When the kids are playing and mom walks into the room, what do they do? They sit up a little bit more. I mean, they, they, there's a presence of authority. Changes the atmosphere. Folks, the presence of God's authority affects the spiritual climate of this city, of this state, of this nation, and of the nations of the world. And we, the church, carry the presence of God and the authority of God. And where God's authority is, the enemy is taking note. We are in the way. Do we know who we are? Do you know who you are? We carry this incredible authority that's cultivated as we gather, more so, as we get into the Word, as we spend time in prayer, as we worship and we surrender ourselves and submit ourselves to There's something we carry that is profoundly significant to pushing back the gates of hell, not just holding the devil out, but attacking that giant Goliath who's going to fall and take his hands off of petrifying the individuals around us in a state of fear that they don't even understand. They call it anxiety and stress and all kinds of words. Why don't you rise up in who God's called you to be and declare the enemy's going to fall not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. That's who we are, the church. We carry the authority of God. As long as we are here in the earth, we must completely devote ourselves to the purposes of God. As long as we are here, listen to me. There are a lot of things to distract us from the purposes of God. But as long as we're here, we must devote ourselves to the purposes of God because we stand in the anointing of Christ, literally guarding and protecting, holding out enemy territory. The Bible talks about this very uniquely in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, 14. It says, for the unbelieving spouse is sanctified through a believing spouse and the children are preserved. Isn't that interesting? In a family, if you have a believer married to an unbeliever with children, then the believer actually has a place of protecting that household with some unique spiritual protection. They don't even have to wear spandex or a cape. They just stand there and declare the presence of God, the authority of God. As for me and my house, I'm going to stand in the gap and declare over my household that the presence of God will prevail in this place. Come on, we're just calling it forth in this place. We're being awakened to something. 
There's another dimension God wants to awaken within our hearts and lives. The believer in the family, in your blank here, stands in the way of the enemy and becomes a gate through which God releases influence in that home. We have to know who we are. We are in a war, and we must be alive to God's purposes. There is so much on my phone, and I am asking God right now for wisdom. I felt the Holy Spirit was saying he was going to sculpt out two different sculptures of truth in the two services today. So I'm just going to be sensitive to the Lord in trying to flow with this and walk with this where he wants to bring. This Second Thessalonians goes on, and it says chapter 3, verse 6, and this is where I want to drive us today. Because we're all excited about the power of God and who He's called us to be, and we're celebrating and you're clapping, but I mentioned to you this was going to be painful. And so, so far there hasn't been a whole lot of pain. But this is what I want you to know. As spiritually mature as you may be, there are spiritual immaturities God wants to address and deal with. Some of the most spiritually mature people I've ever known have the deepest sense of insecurity and immaturity in some isolated areas of their lives. And God wants to address that. And and this is exactly why. 2 Thessalonians goes right into this. Chapter 3, verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Did you hear that? If believers are idle, disconnected from being engaged with the purposes of God, or if they're disruptive, fostering chaos and gossip and disruptions, what are you to do? Keep away from them. I mean, I'm just reading to you what Paul said in Scripture, and we need to understand this. Verse 14, take special note of anyone that does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them. I don't think we look at things like this seriously enough in the body of Christ. And what it does is it just cultivates and courts a spiritual cancer in the body of Christ. And nobody seems to want to address the problems that are going on when people are being immature in areas of their life because we want to avoid conflict. But I just want to say, not in this house. We are too devoted to the call of God and the cause of Christ in your own life. We will get in your face, and we invite you to get in our face, all of us together as a family. How many know that's what family does? That's what family does. If we were just trying to cultivate a religious gathering, we would never do that. But we don't mind conflict. We embrace conflict so that we might grow stronger as a result. And it's not always easy. Paul is deeply concerned about the disruption that commonly results from distraction, and I want to say this word specifically, and seduction. I'll guarantee there's seducing spirits trying to distract every one of us in this room in a variety of ways. And for some people, what distracts you and seduces you, it's not their porridge. It's too hot, it's too cold, but there's one just right. It's the Goldilocks kingdom principle. There's one that's just right for you. And the enemy tries to use whatever that is to seduce you and distract you from the purposes of God. He cannot defeat you, therefore he must distract you. And if he can distract you, he will bring destruction. When you are distracted from the greater purposes of God, when you're distracted from the greater purposes of God, by default, you become self-absorbed. And when you become self-absorbed, 
you become a drama queen. Drama queens are constantly offended, constantly stirring up trouble, constantly acting like a two-year-old. How many of you know two-year-olds get angry real fast? All of a sudden, they're offended and angry. Two-year-olds do that. But you know what? Adults don't do that. Adults don't do that. Adults hold steady in the household. They, we've got a, there, there's a bigger picture here than just my little emotion in this moment. And God wants to address some of this within us. So I'm going to ask if you will, uh, this isn't your altar call, I want you to envision something. I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to think of a number between 1 and 10, and I want you to envision that number in your mind as you're thinking about this. Are you easily angry or offended when you are provoked? Scale of 1 to 10. 10 being you have a uh, a reaction when you're provoked very easily, and in fact, if somebody else is upset, you like to jump in the middle of that and start perpetuating that and communicating about it, and, and, and you would never tell them that it would be good for them to be mature in their response, but rather you rush to their aid and you begin to medicate their offense, and you perpet- that's a 10. A 1 means you understand what it is to be dead in Christ, and I don't know if you know or not, but you can say whatever you want to a dead person, and that dead person will never be offended, okay? So one is I'm completely dead to my own desires and drives in Christ, and ten, I just am easily provoked. I want you to think about what your number is in that. You got that number? With your eyes closed, you picture that number. I want you to see that number. The background is black. The number is white. Right there it is in your brain. You got that? So this is the thing. God wants to bring those numbers down and cause us to be more mature. You can, you can look up here now. I, I one time... Uh, just studied out a little bit of what the Great Wall of China was all about, and these barbarians were just coming in and, and wreaking havoc, and, and you, it was so hard to, to, to defeat them as they had such a great, like 4,000 miles to come in, and so the, the wall was built. It's a 4,000-mile wall, the Great Wall of China. It's amazing. It is so tall, you cannot climb over it. It is so thick, you cannot uh, destroy it and penetrate it. There's no way to get past the Great Wall of China. And the barbarians were completely obliterated. They had no access. They could gain no way they could get into China after that wall was built. Yet somehow within the first 100 years, there were three invasions, and the wall did not keep them out at all. You want to know how they got in? They bribed the gatekeepers, seduced them with something they wanted. They freely opened the gate, and the enemy came in. Perhaps they thought, it won't be that big of a deal. But the enemy came in, and there was death that was the result. My question as gatekeepers Because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church unless we're seduced and bribed and we open the gate and let the enemy freely in. Can I just tell you, your children, your children's children, the kingdom of God is at stake in what I'm talking to you about. Jesus is coming back. And I don't want you to do all the things that we should do as a church by manipulating you into a state of fear to get you to... I want you to do all the things we should do as a church because you're mature believers and you're devoted to the cause of Christ. That's what I want. That's what I'm calling. That's what I'm aiming for. 
Mature believers don't allow themselves to be seduced and bribed and let the enemy in. Mature believers understand the call of God is greater than that. Mature believers recognize what God is asking. And Paul is deep, listen, listen, listen. Paul is deeply concerned about the drama queens in the church. So much so, he says, these people you need to stay away from. You need to walk free from that. And we all just have to understand, this is about maturity, isn't it? It's about maturity. I'll tell you, maturity is determined largely by the friends you hang around with. I'll guarantee Because the free time of people that are immature does not look the same as free time of people that are mature. And I just, I want to make it clear today and help us all understand there's been a lot of immaturity perpetuated in the church in so many ways and 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 maybe I'm the most immature of all I mean I like I just want you to know I'm not saying I've figured it out and we've got it all together and boy all those other churches I mean you know, I've heard those types of messages before that's very very contrary to the the loving nature of God that wants the best in this community for every church family but the bottom line is Institutionally, we can't accomplish this. Individually, you must. God wants to do something in you. But you have to understand, we perpetuated something, and it's really unhealthy. Um, we have kind of positioned ourselves to see and, and, and teach even that the church is here to serve your needs. And if we serve your needs well enough, then you'll come back and bring your friends, and we'll serve more needs, and we'll organize teams to serve needs better, and, and we're going to serve everybody's needs because this is one of the organizations in your life that serves your needs. We've even taught, erroneously so, this is wrong. Don't applaud it. It's not right. We have erroneously taught that uh, ministry is an avenue of self-fulfillment. We've talked people into getting involved in ministry because it'll be so fulfilling. Can I just tell you, if ministry is self-fulfilling or not, is irrelevant. Ministry is kingdom advancement, and there's a cross, and you've got to die to be willing to serve and do what God's asking you to do in your world, just like Jesus did. And when you do that, out of death will come life, and resurrection power belongs to you, and your family will be impacted, and your neighborhood will be impacted, and your workplace will be impacted. If we don't devote ourselves to the greater purposes of love, we confine ourselves to a self-serving existence. There is no in-between. It's one or the other. We have to devote ourselves to the greater purposes of love, or we're confined to the self-serving existence. Have you ever been friends with a self-absorbed person? Probably not for long. I'll, I'll guarantee that there are very few people that are really close friends with self-absorbed people. You know why? Because being self-absorbed violates something of the very nature of God's design in community by and of its, in and of itself. The more we learn to be about the needs of others and the desires of God, the more our lives will flourish. I mean, it is just such a beautiful thing, isn't it? Faith and I went on a date yesterday at some health food at Buffalo Wild Wings. We were sitting there. 
young couple came in with a child. They sat at a table near us, and I was astonished at how the wife was trying to be polite and courteous, and the husband was being so gruff, rude, and unkind. And he stormed out at one point, and then came back. And I looked at Faith, and I just said, I'm just so broken for families that aren't flourishing because of the most basic element of the absence of kindness. But when you're self-absorbed, you're only being kind to yourself. You're really not interested in being kind to others. You think any of this has anything to do with the last days? Jesus is coming back? Let me just tell you, you and I better be about the business of the Father. And we better be about it from a standpoint of maturity because we're growing in our faith and our relationship with God. We have a great assignment together. We are in the way of the enemy's plans. We are in the way of the enemy's plans. So I want to invite you as a part of the church family to understand a couple of things. One, the way we really connect and get involved and discover our passions, whatever those passions are, nobody looks the same, but this merge card that's in the seat back in front of you, like if you want to be baptized, you fill this out. If you want to have your baby dedicated, you fill this out. If you want to find out how to get involved in ministry, you fill this out. If you want to know about a community group, you fill this out. If you give your life to Jesus today, you fill this out. The merge card is basically how you merge into the deeper purposes of God, and it's always in that seat back in front of you. And I want to ask you, if you're not engaged, you're not involved, you're not connected, you're not serving, you're not loving, you're not giving, in an expression of, of church family, take a moment and fill this out and let us help you find your place. Everybody's in different seasons of life, I understand, but come on, let's be about the business of what God desires for us to be about. And on an individual level, we believe God's presence is to be carried out into real life. You and I carry God's presence into real life. And I want to ask you for an action point this week. And it's pretty, very simple. It's the God's presence for real life action point. Turn the page. That's read your Bible. We have a method that we share here of how you can read your whole Bible through. Pretty easy. Just to turn the page approach to spend time in, in the Word, spend time in prayer, and invite somebody to church with you next week. Not because we're sounding alarms, but because we're mature believers and we're about the business of the Father. That's all I got. 27 pages of stuff if you want to read it. You never know. You might change your position. You might go from pre-trib to post-trib to mid-trib to pan. Pan, I don't know. I'm just, it's all going to pan out. Go on, let's stand together. Man, I just love our church family. I don't know that we know how much to value what God's entrusted to our care. I love that my girls come home on Wednesday night and they talk about week after week after week consistently how they love our youth ministry, our youth pastor, all our youth leaders. I just love that we have the freedom in this place not to agree on everything. We don't have to fuss about the things we don't agree about. That's just expressing immaturity not your job to take care of getting everybody ironed out. It's our job to love each other. I love it that we have that. It's a beautiful, beautiful culture that God's entrusted our care. It's the culture of God's kingdom. So I want to ask you today, 
let's all take a step forward. How many of you would agree you need to take a step forward in your faith and your relationship with God? Like one step of maturity, one step more. Maybe today it's your first step. Maybe today you're here, you say, you know, I'm really not even a Christian. I've never followed Jesus. Not sure how to go about all this. Then I just want to invite you to take that step. And then like you keep that step going in a, in a walk with God for the rest of your life. So let's all just pray this prayer in agreement. Wherever you are, take a step. Uh, let's say it out loud. Lord Jesus, you are who you say you are. You came the first time. You're coming again. You lived. You died. And you're alive. You're empowering us to be the church. I accept you're the Savior of the world. You're my Savior. Be Lord of my life. Lead me into greater maturity and true submission to the heart of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.